You are listening to iFanboys Talksplode with Andy Schmidt. Josh Flanagan from iFanboy.com. Today we welcome back Andy Schmidt. Andy is a senior editor at IDW Publishing, where he heads up the G.I. Joe and Transformers lines, among other things. He's also a writer with his creator-owned series, Five Days to Die, coming out this September in a weekly format. He's also the head of Comics Experience, the place where you can learn how to create comics professionally, whether you want to be a writer or an artist, an inker, letterer, color, all those things. They have classes on all of that stuff. Several community members also asked Andy questions on iFanboy.com, and we'll get to a lot of those questions as well as explain some of the stuff Andy has coming up at San Diego Comic-Con this year. Let's get to it. How you doing today, Andy? Doing all right. How you doing, Josh? I'm very good. I'm glad to have you back on the show. Had a fun time last time, and so we're we're back for more. And and you've been you've been busy. I mean, you're always busy, from what I can tell. <laughs> you're right up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm busy. You got you got it. You got several jobs. You got a, a bunch of things going on. You're the you're the man about comics, is what you are. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got pretty much three jobs right now in comics, so it's 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 fun and Comic Con to to gear up for. <laughs> Comic Con coming up is just like this great wall in the future of it sucks everything in and 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 then it takes a, a a week and then a week to recover at least and and then you know you come out the other side like what happened I I have to start my life again. And... Yeah, it adds about an extra two hours to the workday like for the three weeks mm-hmm. leading up to it. You know, and that's if you pace it properly, which no one ever does. So what it really does is it adds about twenty-four extra hours to every workday the week before. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. just feel like across comics now. There's just a there's like the stress level goes way up. Everybody is in is in much greater risk for 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 you know heart failure at this. Point. Yeah, there's yeah, I definitely agree with that. But there's there's this odd there's this odd thing that you know the the. The editors and the and the artists and everybody's like you got all this prep work because it's so important that by the time any of us get to Comic Con we're already beaten down. Yeah. And then you you contrast that with you know the the artists looking for work and the artists trying to break in and the writers who who have you know great ideas and are up and comers and they're all there with these 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 bright shining beacons of hope in their eyes and they come up and they meet us and we're all. <laughs> disheveled <laughs> shells of men like like it's, it couldn't be like any more like you know there's nothing wrong with it but they're like it couldn't be like two like more opposite sort of forces coming together but it's fine you get there and then you you put your you put your game face on and you oh you coast through it and you do the things and you go out at night and you go through the whole thing <laughs> and then at the end you're like how did i survive this Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 I have a new I have a new way of of dealing with it, which is I don't get smashed every night, uh which has been remarkably helpful in surviving it. It's um, true. It's it's one way to get by on 4 hours of sleep. I imagine it make it slightly easier. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did one Comic-Con completely inebriated from <laughs> From day one to, to the end of the well, it's it's a thing about comics is nobody really seems to nobody's like oh that's that's unprofessional no people just like to get loaded in comics it's a thing maybe right. it's one of the yeah perks. yeah binge drinking is totally acceptable <laughs> you know it's 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 wild although although of course like if you're an aspiring artist and you show up to a 
you know, to get a portfolio review and you're drunk, then that's probably not good. But if the guy doing your review is, you know, hungover, that's cool. That's, that's solid advice right there for the newcomers. <laughs> right. I want to save that for the question and answer period. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I should, I should probably let people know that um, we also – we put a, uh, a link up on ifanboy.com where people could ask questions. So we're going to go through those in just a little bit. But first, got a couple of other things we were going to talk about. Uh, first and foremost on the list is you have a creator-owned book coming out. Is this your first creator-owned book? It is my first creator-owned book. Five Days to Die – Give us what's what's the pitch? Sell me. <laughs> All right, it's about a uh, police officer, Ray Crisara, who has a uh, wife and a daughter, and they are in a devastating car accident. And he uh, he is told when he wakes up in the hospital that he has essentially five days. He's got five days to put his affairs in order, uh, and he does not believe that that car accident was an accident. And so there is a uh, drug dealer, uh, the crime lord, whatever you want to call it, uh, who he believes is trying to kill his family uh, because he's been on to him and he knows he's about – he knows Ray is about to bust him. So he has to make this decision. He's got – not the best relationship with his wife and daughter that you have ever seen, um, but he's trying. And so he has to make a decision to spend those five days with them knowing that their lives are in danger or to essentially abandon them in while they're in the hospital and, and you know, may or may not make it out alive um, and go try and save their lives by being relatively brutal out on the street, killing his way to the top. Uh, it is an action, uh, sort of noirish thriller. So you probably know that at least at some point he decides to go on on an action spree. Um, so that's, but that's the pitch. He's got five days to save his family and, and, and try and, or, and, or try and repair that, that, uh, family bond. So it's really, it's really him weighing those priorities. And each um, issue is one day, right? That's and each issue is one day. Right. Clever. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's been great, you know, and, and, um, on my uh, on my blog, I actually just started posting sort of like how this whole project came about, and um, it, it's definitely one of those projects that I, where I got a piece here, a piece there. But you know, one of the pieces was uh, I'm really sick of the like over the top action movies, um, uh, like Live Free and Die Hard, which I enjoyed. I'm not gonna lie, I enjoyed it, but. I don't know. There's like 700 million rounds of ammunition fired at Bruce Willis in that movie, and, and he doesn't get hit once. Jumps, you know? I believe he rides a plane like a skateboard. He rides a plane like a skateboard, yeah. He yeah. dodges a helicopter at some point. You know, I mean, <laughs> just and then, and then you go back and you look at Die Hard, the original, and what a tight, gripping, thrilling movie that is. And then how did I get from there to – this thing it's it's not the same character it's not the same genre and you know i i really wanted to get back to those to that story where you know if if you get hit by a bullet it hurts you know and and where an injury is real you know i mean one of the things ray is doing because he was in this terrible car accident he's constantly popping pills that he stole from the from the hospital just to keep going um you know and so we really tried to keep it grounded in that in that realism of 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 the way you know action movies should be you know in my opinion which doesn't mean that i don't 
like a live free or die hard, but um, but I just feel like we've somewhere along the way Hollywood lost track of of you know action movies with believable, relatable characters. You know, I mean, I use Die Hard for, as an example for a good for a specific reason. If you watch Die Hard and then you, you even watch Die Hard Two, it's not the same character. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Die Hard, he's scared. The only reason he's sticking around is to save his wife. If she wasn't in there, he'd be gone. Um, you know, he's you know, he's got no shoes on. He doesn't think he can win. He, he He's doing anything he can. He's trying to get the cops. He's trying to get the fire department. He's doing everything he can to avoid putting his life in danger. And then you go into Die Hard 2, which comes out like two years later, three years later, and here's a guy who's in an airport that gets taken over, and then he starts going around telling everybody else they don't know what the hell they're doing, and he's He's throwing himself in front of bullets, you know, and he's a smart ass and, and like all this stuff. And you're like, that is just, it's not, they're not the same character. Um, I never liked two that much. Maybe that's why. And I think that's part of it. He's really not very likable in two because he's such a smart ass and he's constantly telling people how much better he is than everybody else <laughs> that he's just really annoying, I think. You know, and then, and then Die Hard 3, which I actually like a little bit more than the second one, but like, then th- that really gets over the top in terms of this, the, the explode, you know, he's on a, like a freaking battleship at some point or something right. that like has a nuke go off it and he like dives in the water. And he's fine. That one, that one had Sam Jackson yelling <laughs> before that became passe though. So you, you have that right, going yeah. for you. Yeah. And it, and it did some, you know, it did some things differently and it had the, the, you know, the villain was a fam was the brother or the guy from the first one. And I thought there was, there was some clever stuff in it that I, that I liked. But, and, the, and then four was just like, you know, check your brain at the door, man. <laughs> There are some people who refuse to acknowledge the existence of four. Uh, I, I know yeah. that. It just it never happened. It's fine. Um, right. So it's interesting because when you talk about sort of a grounded action movie, even even more less even less likely is is sort of a grounded action story in comics because I think comics fans tend to they tend to gravitate towards the more outlandish stuff. So I, sometimes when you dial back and you do something that's even more uh, realistic and, and less over the top. Uh, it sometimes has a hard time finding an audience. Were you, were you thinking about that at all, or just? Well, yes. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been editing comics for I mean, we're coming up on ten years here, actually, um, which shocks and appalls me. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, I, I like I can't I can't turn that part of my brain off mm-hmm. entirely. So yeah, but you know, uh, one thing I do whenever I'm writing comics, and you and I have talked about this before, where you know I don't want to write for food as I, as I had put it to you. Like I don't, I write because I love it. And if it starts to become income I'm depending on, I'm very aware and afraid that I will, I will not love writing. And so I, I'm doing whatever I can to avoid that. Um, so when I'm writing, I'm really writing things that, that I like, that I believe in or, or, you know, there's, there's some appeal other than a paycheck. Mm -hmm. A paycheck is nice if one shows up. Um, you know, so in in this case, you know, there were certain things I wanted to try. There were certain things I, I, I you know, I wanted to challenge myself with. So, um, you know, there's no internal monologue. You know, the the go-to way to do this is you start off with, my name's Ray Crisara, and I'm a boiled, hard-boiled cop with a, you know, whatever. You know, and I, I was just like, you know what, I want people to... to to learn about this character and to get involved in this character's life because of what he's doing, not because, you know, I've come up with some clever voice for his internal monologue, um, which is sort of a trope of the genre. And so there isn't 
that. There is there is one scene in, in issue four, but it's it's set aside. It makes sense. Anyway, so I, I wanted to avoid that, you know, and so uh, you know, I, which was a way of me challenging myself as a as a creator. But you know, it took me a long time to figure out that a lot of where this character comes from for me and why I really felt. You know, almost compelled to write this story had to do with uh, with the birth of my son three years ago, um, because in in a lot of ways I had trouble personally dealing with this new this new guy. Uh, this new stranger in my house that I kept like literally for like weeks. I kept thinking like, so, you know, that kid's parents should probably show up and take him. I don't know why he's <laughs> here. It's really weird. Why are we babysitting? Um, you know, and I, you know, I really had to to deal. I, you know, I hate talking about because I feel like I sound like such an insensitive jerk. But I really had to deal with this like like running away from this emotional responsibility. And and coming to terms with it, and and five days to die, you know, for me was kind of cathartic in that. You know, I've I have I have I love my son. I mm-hmm. I love my son. I have I have a relationship with my son unlike anything I've ever experienced. But it took me a little while to get there. Well, and, you know, uh, it's, that's true. That's one I've experienced. It. Like right away, you get this thing in the house and it's screwed your life all up, and you're supposed to immediately have this connection. That doesn't happen right away. Nobody tells you that. Right, and people and people go, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, and you're like, and you feel guilty if it isn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You feel you feel guilty that you don't instantaneously love uh, love this little person that's not even a person yet. And, you know, they don't really even have a personality. Oh, I, I've I've said like for the first three to four months, really, they're kind of like livestock. Right. Right. Yeah. You're just tending the the food and waste, and there's not there's nothing else happening really. And yeah. you know, and then at a certain point it does, and then you're like, "Oh, this is this is a whole different thing. This is fun." But uh, so, so to get back to your question, um, I don't even remember my yes, question. <laughs> but yes, I, I do think about those things. You know, I think about the marketing hook. I think about Willis appeal, and you know, to a, to a large extent, you know, I, I'm I'm very much hoping Five Days to Die will find its audience, um, in part because it is more. Mm-hmm. Realistic. It's not the most. It's it's not that it doesn't have any sort of over the top or fantastical elements, but I, I try to keep them grounded in in this world. And one of the things that it also allowed me to do was work with Chi, the artist, on on how do we if it is realistic, how do we not just make it um, a movie on paper? Mm-hmm. You know, cause, you know, I've been. I don't know that I've been like a leading vocal person about not liking comics that are clearly made as movie pitches, mm-hmm. but I don't like comics that are clearly made as movie pitches. <laughs> and the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, have somebody pull up an old quote, uh, you know, in an interview and be like, look what you just did, you know? And so, you know, I, we, G and I really talked a lot about how do we make this, you know, how, what can we do with the comics medium uh, to have fun, and so we we play with uh, the color palette, and we play with you know panel layout. I mean, it's a, it's a fairly straightforward story, and you know I'm sure there were people who go, oh, it was just a movie pitch, but it's really not. You know, we really worked on on ways to to have to have a lot of fun with it. And one thing that I do with every script I write, and this is probably because I also teach you know writing and art, is I always try to do something with every single script to do something different to sort of challenge myself. Um, 
in some way. And it could be like a little thing. Like I put a little hurdle in front of myself and go, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, we were talking about the captions earlier. Like that was sort of an example of that I don't, I didn't want to use that as some sort of, you know, crutch, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, so with every script that I write, I try and do something different that I haven't done before, or I, or I go, I'm not going to do this. And I have to, so it creates like a, a problem or a challenge. And, and I find that that very refreshing. And I find that it often leads to uh, a better, a better execution. And, and doing that here led to some good surprises. And frankly, the fact that, you know, we weren't being paid to do this, uh, up front meant, meant that we, she and I didn't have the, the, the money to, to hire a colorist, you know, a real good colorist. And we didn't want to hire a, a colorist that would just sort of get the job done. You know, I mean, if we're putting all this time and effort and we really believe in it, which we do, you know, we didn't just want to hand it over to somebody just because we could afford them, even though we weren't a hundred percent sure they were on board. And, uh, and that actually led to one of my favorite things about the book, which is the color palette and the color scheme and, and, and what we did with it. So, and really what, what, Chi, I mean, obviously we both worked on, but he was a guy that wound up doing the collars, and um, you know, it, it's it's finding those those hurdles, those obstacles, and then turning them into something that actually winds up really becoming a, a core element of the project. And, yeah, and it's a, if you haven't seen it, uh, which uh, most of you haven't, uh, it's sort of a. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> it's not grayscale because it, like it, the color changes, so uh, that you know, like some of the pages are sort of blue purple and some of the pages sort of have a, have a red like the background kind of stuff is or the uh, not background uh flashbacky kind of stuff is a different color things like that um yeah. kind of black and white but kind of deeper than that uh it's very very textured actually it looks it's one of those things where where you talk about making it a comic book i'm looking at it's clearly a comic book where it's got this sort of brushed aspect to it this this sort of this sort of depth that comes from from um just sort of one tone being done really well and rendered nicely. I actually like that. Where, where did where did she come from? It's a really good looking book. <laughs> uh, thanks. Well, <laughs> I think she says thanks. But uh, well, she she uh, I had originally met. Um, one of my first freelance writing gigs was I did a mini series for Boom Studios called Challenger Deep, and Mark Wade was the editor, um, who you talked to earlier this day, I believe. Um, and uh, Mark's awesome, and Mark realized that. It was more important to get a good storyteller on this project. It was about a submarine that gets sunk and the dive to go find it. It was more important to get a really good storyteller than, than you know, the next you know Jim Lee on it. Um, and and he found he knew Chi, he knew Chi, and and he hired Chi to do Challenger Deep. And so we did four issues of that, which both of us really enjoyed working together. Um, then when I got hired to do the uh, Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan movie adaptation, 25 years after the movie was released, uh, I recommended Chi for that. And uh, I thought he just did an, a, a great job um, on that for those three issues. And it was during that that, that in my brain, Five Days to Die really came together and I didn't actually ask him to do Five Days to Die until I had the title and the premise and sort of the marketing hook. You know, I mean, the, the story and the ideas had been floating around for a long time. But, you know, like I said, I, I never turned that part of my brain off, even though I'd like to sometimes and, and approach material without analyzing how does this work uh, when it comes to comics. But once those, those things all clicked into place, I was like, I've got something I think I can sell. Because, you know, another thing, too, is 
she's going to put a lot more time into this, you know, work hours and desk than I am. Uh, I mean, he just, it yeah. takes longer to draw stuff than it does to write it. Um, and I don't want to ask somebody to, to, to put pencil to paper if I don't think there's a, there's a reasonably good shot that, that we can get it published. And even so, you know, creator-owned books right now are just, you know, unless you're, unless you're Brian Bendis and, you know, or the, the handful of other guys, you know, they're just not doing very well. I'm, I'm solemnly <laughs> shaking my head. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a shame, you know. You know, I mean, you're hard pressed to find a comics fan that's like, yeah, that's not too bad. But you're hard pressed to find a comics fan that doesn't spend most of their dollars on on you know Marvel and DC and and you know it. And the the, the rare comic fan that's not a superhero fan is, you know, they've got they've got their select things, and you know, very few people go out of their way to to really try something new. And that's not a criticism of fans; it's just a reality. Yeah, you know, it's true of movie fans it's true of you know that's why transformers 2 revenge of the fallen made five bajillion dollars is because everybody knew what it was so you're at least not going to go into that movie you know and be you know shocked that it's whatever i i should stop talking about that i was gonna say (laughs) you know what you're getting that's all i'm saying you know what you're getting from that movie so it's it's like or when when you're on the road and you're on a road trip and you stop for food, you're more likely to go, let's just go to the subway. We right. know what the food is. It, we're not going to be disappointed instead of the weird right. place around the corner that we don't know about that might be wonderful, but it's too big of a risk. Yeah, and you know, I think a, a better example to use would have been The Dark Knight. Because Batman Begins is taking the view of, of sort of majority of the audience. You know, Batman Begins, I think a, a lot of people were surprised that they liked it coming off of the last Batman uh, movie, it, it sort of surprised people, but it, it really wasn't a huge hit. And then the Dark Knight comes out, and people go see it because they liked Batman Begins, but very few people loved Batman Begins. And so people came out, and the reason the Dark Knight got all that buzz wasn't because it was good; it was because it was so much better than people expected it to be. You know, um, you know, and then you've got. You know, you go to the movie on a Friday night and you're like, well, I've got this movie I've never heard of, this movie I've never heard of, or I've got Iron Man 2. Well, I liked Iron Man, so I'll probably like Iron Man 2. I'll go see that. Or I'll go see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. (laughs) (laughs) Did I just crush you? I'm sorry. No, I just brought it all back. Um, uh, So what's the what's the story with this book? Where is it? Are you are you where's it coming out from? How what's this? When when will it come out? Uh, okay, it comes out. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll try and tackle this. All right, it comes out in September, and by it comes out, I mean all five issues come out in September. There are five Wednesdays really? this, this September, and so it's coming out weekly, and it's coming out weekly uh, because each issue takes place on a day, and you can't release comics daily. Um, so uh, that was actually an idea I had, which was you know let's bank this thing up and put it out in one month. And there are a couple other, you know, sort of marketing reasons for that. You know, I could get a bigger ad in the in the previews ad if I'm if we're listing five issues instead of one. You know, I can get more space in previews. And you know, I had asked you know uh, five popular artists to do to contribute a cover each, and that way I could get enough space that you know retailers could go, hey, look, there's a David Finch cover. Maybe I'll buy that. Um, 
So, you know, we'll see. But, you know, that's also risky, too, because a lot of retailers are going to look at it and probably, you know, very potentially say, I don't know what this is. And IDW is asking me to buy five five issues in one month, sight, you know, almost sight unseen. And, you know, some, some retailers may very well balk at that, you know, and other retailers may go, you know what, this is kind of fun. It's got a cool hook. It comes out weekly. And I think my, my you know, shop goers will go for it. So it's a risk, you know. It could totally backfire. I could, I could, I could conceivably, you know, Chi and I could conceivably not see a dime off this, and um, that would be really disappointing. But you know, ultimately, and I, I think Chi would agree. I don't think he did this necessarily for the money. Obviously, we'd like to be compensated at least for the time we put into it. But you know, I think it's it's a work that both of us are really proud of. So if you're listening to this and you're interested, and I certainly hope you are, you know, be sure to actually tell your retailer uh, you want it because you know there's a chance they may not order it. But if you go in and you say, "Hey, this sounds pretty cool. It's something new, and I want to try it," you know, please ask your retailer to do that and ask your retailer soon because orders actually close in in like three weeks or something like that. Um, and because it happens but, so so soon, you know, I mean, yeah. so quickly, like that's, I mean, it's it's like a gimmick on the one hand, but you're also, it's like a little bit of a risk because your time sort of being out there is less time to build up, I guess. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if issue one comes out and it's a surprise hit, I'm, I'm hosed <laughs> because they've already put their orders in for, for two five. You know, there's no, there's no chance that, that orders will go up on four and five. Um on the other hand, if it comes out and number one's a hit and the others are underordered, you know, hopefully the the collected edition will do pretty well, and you you just sort of hope that that carries over. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, that, and all of these things. You know, there there are no rules in in comics, especially right now with the economy the way it is, and the economy. Uh, you know, the comics economy for the little industry seems to drag, lag about nine months to a year behind behind. Uh, you know, the overall uh, American economy. And so we're really just getting into some some really dark, deep water in right now, like right as this thing is coming out. And, you know, they they, they asked me, you know, do you want to put this out right now? And, and you know, I, I said yes, and maybe that was dumb. <laughs> but I can, I can understand that. You want to, I mean, it's like, all right, I've, I've been working on this for a long time. Let's, let's just do the thing. And, and you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've been working on it for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chi's Chi's been doing this while he's been doing you know other projects that do pay him. Um, so you know, we we started this on you know quite a long time ago, and and frankly, there have been a couple of comics that come out that have you know made me angry because there have been aspects of those books that that are similar to Five Days to Die, and I'm pretty sure I started mine first. But you know, what, that's matter. Gonna <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. It's going to happen no matter what the book is. You know, I mean, honestly, you know, I worked at editing superhero comics at Marvel for, what, six years or whatever. And I didn't seem to get angry that other people were publishing superhero books. So, I, you know, I don't, you know, but it's mine. It's mine. It's my little baby. And, it, and it's it's personal and, and I'm very proud of it. And so, you know, all those little things go under my skin, especially when they're books by people I know and I like and I think are better than me. Um, but I digress. Don't let it out now. This is, this is no, not the point. <laughs> Um, yeah. Now, at the same time that uh, this is going on, uh, you, you've also, in addition to being a senior editor at IDW, you're also still um, doing Comics Experience, which which appears to be expanding, uh, and and you've got all sorts of stuff going on with there. So, so how's that going? Uh, it's going great. Um, Comics Experience, if you don't know, is a uh, you can go to the website comicsexperience.com. Um, 
which my brothers kid me about endlessly that it's comicsexperience.com. Uh, it's just going to get you hits. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's why I say it in these interviews. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a place where you can go. We offer classes. They're, they're online now. They're, they're held live. Um, they've been just extraordinarily well-received. Um, and I've kept it small for a long time just because I, I – you know, I've I've got a full time job and I write and I've you know I've got Cale uh, just turned three last week, uh, so I've got a lot going on and um, you know recently I just decided that it was time, you know I've got so many people asking me when are you going to do a class on lettering when are you going to do a class on this or that that it was just time to to figure it out so I've actually spent about the last year figuring out how to do courses on every aspect of, of, of creative production in, in, a, in a comic. So you've got an intro to writing class, you've got an intro to penciling class, an intro to inking class, an intro to coloring class, and now a lettering and production uh, class. And, and I think we'll be adding more. I mean, we, I, we just started announcing them, um, and uh, they're, you know, people are signing up. Is it, is it lettering um, and production, or or lettering? It is lettering, lettering and production okay. as one class. Yeah, and that's and that's a really great one for people making their own comics because it is amazing how much money you can save if you can do your own lettering and production work. Um, because you're you're looking at probably <clears throat> to get like really professional looking lettering, you're looking at fifteen bucks a page, at a twenty two page comic. That's a chunk of change for any of us. And if you can learn to do that yourself, which you can in this class, um, that's a lot of money you can save if you're doing more than one comic. You know, the, the, that's that really is like it's one of those classes. Like, well, this class pays for itself very quickly, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is which is great. You know, and um, and we've got uh, we started. I started up the book club, which is so much fun. We have such a great time doing the book club. Every we meet once a, once a month. Um, now, when you say meet. We meet online. Okay. Yeah, we meet online. It's live, and um, you can always see me. You know, there's a, the I use a uh, application, a web application, application or whatever that you know I have my big subscription fee for that I pay for, and um, you can see up to six other people in the class at, at any given time. So you can always see me as the instructor or the you know the book club you know moderator or whatever. Uh, and you can see whoever else you want to see, and you can switch who you're looking at. Um, there's a chat function so that if somebody's talking and you've got a question or you've got a counterpoint, you can chat it in without interrupting somebody, which is really great. You know, when I first started this, I didn't realize how useful that was going to be, but it's it's been a, a, a phenomenally great tool to have that. Um, and uh, and then there's sort of the main <coughs> the main image space where you know we can share documents with each other, we can share images with each other, uh, you know, and I can pass control over somebody else. And so, in the book club, like these guys have really, uh, I should say, guys and gals uh, have really taken taken it on. So you know, we'll you know, actually next this coming Tuesday, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna meet and discuss We Three by Grant Morrison and then Frank Quietly. And, you know, people in the class, you know, take different questions. I always post up questions on the on the forum and people sort of take different questions and sort of lead through different questions and, and really go in depth. And they're doing presentations now with like slideshows and like, you know, they're <laughs> it's funny because they're like kind of trying to one up, you know, very good naturedly, like one up one another. And and um, it's it's just become a lot of fun. And then every third uh, every third 
book club, so once a once a quarter, uh, we have a guest, and the guest is is somebody who worked on the book. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've had we, our first guest was Robert Kirkman, and then we had Kurt Busick to talk about Aerosmith, um, which is great. Kirkman talked about Walking Dead, and you get to ask the creators the questions yourself, which is which is great. And then um, so we're doing We Three this this month, and then. Uh, next month, we're doing Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, Frank Miller, and John Romita Jr., like the origin story, which is one of my favorite books. And then in September, we're doing Area 10. It's one of those vertigo crime... Chris Somney, Christos Gage. Yes, Chris, Chris Gage, Chris Somney, yeah. And both of them are going to join us. Ah, we just uh, we just did a show with Chris Somney the other day. Uh, yeah, his style, uh, by the way, Chi reminds me of a little bit. Him and yeah. Peter Snayberg, I see, I see a, a, a relation there. Yeah. Yeah, and so both of those, the Chris's, which is the first time we're going to have both the writer and the artist, <laughs> but I think it's really exciting. And it's a great way, it's a great way to learn about comics because we're deconstructing, you know, some of it is just like, yeah, with Walking Dead was great because we had Kirkman there and there are people there, people that love Walking Dead. And then there are other people that were like, yeah, this didn't do it for me, mm-hmm. you know, and they got to ask Kirkman, what were you thinking when, you know, and, and all <laughs> that kind funny. of stuff. And, and, and Robert's so good natured and, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, I always sort of like prep everybody, like, don't be rude. You know, if you don't like it, don't be rude. It's all, you know, it's all this sort of stuff. So is it uh, for students or is it for anybody who comes along and wants to do it or, you know, it's really for anybody. Okay. Um, you know, uh, most of the people that are in it because are, 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 have taken classes, right. but, uh, there are a few who haven't and, uh, we all get along, you know, it's interesting. And, and the people that have taken classes, seem to love it because it, it really is a lot. I mean, it's really there to be a lot of fun and it's a great way to sort of look at comics in a different light. And, you know, and I sort of, I sort of try and keep it in a, in a, in a three book rotation for each quarter. So you've got something that's a little more indie. You might have something that's a little more out there and you might have something that that's really mainstream. You know, the first book we reviewed was the ultimates volume one. I also tried to keep the books, you know, under or around $20. Um, and atomic you're not, comics. You're going to do all of Cerebus then. Right, yeah. And uh, Atomic Comics, um, Mike Malvey's store, again, the online store, actually offers everybody in the book club a discount on the mm-hmm. books. So you, I think 25% off on the books um, just for just for doing the book club. So that's, that's cool. So we've done, you know, we did the first volume of Sandman, we did Walking Dead, we did the first volume of Invincible Iron Man. Uh, we did Asterius Polyp, which is genius. You can you uh, can talk about that for years. Oh yeah, yeah. That you know the the book club last two hours. I think that one went like two and a half, three hours, yeah. and we were just we were just like, well, we're all tired. We we should probably stop. And then you know, and the other aspect too is is great is there's actually a forum that you can go to all month long and talk about comics you buy every week, and you can like review those, and you know, and if there's stuff that didn't get covered in the review. <laughs> Excuse me. In the club meeting, you can, you know, post about it online, and we all get to talk about stuff. It's a lot of fun. It, it really is fun, and and it's it's good for just fun. Like I like good comics. I read them, and I like talking about them. Um, and then it's good. It's good too for learning because you do get to. I mean, you get you know not just my insight, but the insight of you know everybody else in the book club who's got different perspectives. And you've got you know every third every third time you get to ask questions from the creators and if your questions are you know where do you get those wonderful toys then you know ask it 
Yeah, uh, except Kirkman. I mean, every time I've asked him any loaded questions about his work, he goes, "I don't know. I thought it was fun." And you're like, "All right." Yeah. Well, uh, Kirkman, Kirkman was great, and Kirkman was such a contrast to Kurt Busiek, yeah. uh, because Kirkman was was you know he's got a vague idea of where he's going like he knows where he's going to end up with walking dead like he knows where the storyline is going to go but he's going to find his way as he gets there and yep. things will occur to him on the fly and <clears throat> whereas kurt when we're talking about aerosmith you know kurt's like i built this entire world you know with the help of carlos and uh, i forget the other guy's name that really helped build like an entire history of of the planet earth from like nine from like 1500 something on and figured out the map and that it wouldn't be the United States of America. It would, it would actually be these four different countries figured out like everything. And then winds up telling this, this tight story that takes place in like two of those cities. <laughs> so you don't even like have to know the other stuff, you know? And, and so it's like, so like intricately and precisely done. And Carlos Pacheco is just like, well, I think they'd have this on their belt buckle because this harkens back to something in the 1400s. Okay, that works for me, you know, but like every single thing behind it has this like this history to it and this idea, which, you know, the readers don't pick up on a lot of it, but but they pick up on enough of it that they know it's there and it affects, you know, it's very different. Walking Dead and Aerosmith are two very different reads, but they're both brilliant. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's great. one of those things about the craft of comics is that everybody approaches it completely differently. And it's it's even like if you think about the way that screenplays are written, screenplays are they have to be a certain way and comics is just completely whatever that person brings to it which is one of the things that i've always really liked about it because things can just come out so differently and they can all work right not that there's not good things that you that you can teach people mind you i'm not <laughs> um, so yeah so we're doing a lot of comics experience stuff and uh, at comic con um in just two weeks <clears throat> i've got four panels that i'm leading um for comics experience, um, and you know they're 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 packed. Um, they are, if you're interested, <clears throat> they are. On Thursday, we're doing uh, from five thirty to six thirty. We're doing creating the new mythology, which is me, Peter David, and Mark Guggenheim talking about the process of making comics and and how it ties into mythology and what that's all about. <laughs> on Friday from 4 to 5, we got a Breaking Into Comics panel with uh, Mike Costa, the writer, and did G.I. Joe Cobra and The Authority, Jack Hawksmore, Riley Brown, the artist, Cable Deadpool, Incredible Hercules, and me. And uh, we're going to be talking about how writers and artists break into comics, like how it's, how it's done today and how it's changed. Even in the last five years, it's changed pretty drastically. On Saturday, I've got two panels, one from four to five, and that's Writing for Comics with uh, Mark Guggenheim and Peter David and Brian Michael Bendis. Um, I think that one will be a lot of fun. Yeah. And then right right after that, at five o'clock, uh, in the same room, actually, uh, Building Your Art Portfolio for Artists, and uh, that'll be me again, obviously. Um, but Eric Larson, C.B. Sabalski from Marvel, Marvel Talent Scout, Um Eric Larson doesn't need me to explain who he is. Uh, Scott Doonbeer, um was a former like editor in chief at Wildstorm, executive editor, I think was the title, and special projects editor now. Um, and Ben Templesmith, creator of Third Days of Night, are going to be on there talking about how artists can improve their portfolio and all that kind of stuff. You know, and and these panels are all, you know, I I really try to make sure that they're as honest as they can possibly be, um, because if we're not going to be honest about it then really what's the point 
you know, and, and, but we also try to make sure that, you know, we're not deadly serious because if you're deadly serious, you can wind up turning people off. <laughs> um, so. Well, there's too many people who want to break into comics anyway, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. I kid. Right. I kid. Uh, we had uh, we had the folks on, on iFanboy uh, ask a bunch of questions, and uh, I figure we'll go through some of them. Some cover some of the stuff that I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure you will be talking about. Or you're not going to die, right? No, I'm trying not to. Yeah, I, can't, I just can't shake this cough. I apologize. It's, uh, Everyone who's listening, which I hope is like five million people, um, I apologize. Yeah, I wish cough. too. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure some of these themes that you'll recognize that'll be come up, coming up in those panels. But uh, if you're in San Diego, that's 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 gold. I mean, if you think about the names and stuff that you that you've got coming there and, and the experience, that's you should go to that if you want to be in comics. Uh, but let's get started. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> I mean it. I would if I didn't have to work the whole time. I would totally go. Yeah, I go to the writers on comics. Page. I always, I always feel like I'm shelling too much on these things. I, I apologize for that. It's okay. But I, but I think people do want to know, like, you know, that there's cool stuff to go to at San Diego. In case you didn't know. In case, in case you've decided I don't want to wait in that twilight line anymore, and I want to do something useful right. with my time. Man, did you go last year? The Twilight crowd was amazing. It was like the sea of of black. I thought black I thought curtain. even more interesting than that was the fact that people were so, like all the comics were like, I can't believe they're coming. They're coming. I'm like, you're just as nerdy as they are. It's just different nerdiness. Right. There's, there's there's that, and they're paying for this. Exactly. Kind of and there's, that a, you're there's, enjoying. there's a chance that those people are gonna buy some comics. So and just the and just the fact that something that is sort of as poorly written as Twilight is can be that monumentally successful it just fills my heart with hope <laughs> that I too can sell out the way she did. You won't even know it when you do it all of a sudden. Right. Oh, wow. Um, moving on, we'll go to the, we'll go start the questions. The people want to know. Um, okay. What con would you say is the best to actually talk to editors of all the major companies? I would think San Diego is out of the question because there's so much going on. But are there smaller cons that are that are better with lots of editors and things like that? Uh, that was well, from Art thirteen eighteen. <laughs> Art thirteen eighteen. Uh, you know, San Diego isn't terrible. Uh, if you go to San Diego, you need a plan because it's so big. You need to, you know, look at the map and as much as you can figure out who's going to be there. But one of the great things about San Diego is just about every publisher is there. So um, whereas you go to a lot of the smaller shows, you're, you may not have, you know, Dark Horse there, and you may not have Oni Press there, and you may not have whoever. Um, and so San Diego and uh, and you know almost as good as the New York. Comic-Con in terms of the number of publishers, and um, we're all there for the same reason. I mean, we're all there to, to meet people and talk to people. Yes, we have business meetings, and yes, we have to you know do help people with signings and things like that, but we're all there to, to, to talk and, and be available. Um, San Diego is crazy, but it is not uh, it is not out of the question to, to wind up talking with several editors from several different several different uh, companies. I tend to think of San Diego as not necessarily the best place that if you have like a submission or something to hand it to somebody. Though. Well, honestly, that's really not. I mean, conventions just really aren't for that right. anymore. I don't know that they ever really were. They probably were at one point. But um, you, what you're really looking for, uh, and I'll talk about smaller shows in a second. What you're really looking for is the opportunity to touch base, to make contact, first contact, second contact, third contact. Um, 
because you want to start being seen if you're trying to break in and you want to start being seen. You want to get to that point where you walk up to the you know, DC Comics booth and Mike March recognizes you. He may not know your name right away, but, you know, he recognizes you and that's a, that's a win. Um, you know, and <clears throat> that sounds kind of bad, actually, now that I said it. But, um, but you know what I mean? Like you, you want to start becoming part of the part of the crowd and, and, and somebody that people people at least recognize and know but it's really not the best place and really none of the conventions are the, are the best place for and here's my my you know here's my legion of superheroes pitch right um, but what they're good for is they're making that contact and if you are talking to an editor and the conversation goes you know i don't know uh, skydiving then let it go to skydiving because that editor is going to talk to literally a thousand people about comics who want to break in, but you might be the only person they talk to about skydiving. So when you wind up getting in touch with that editor later, you can say, I'm the guy we talked about skydiving, mm-hmm. you know, so let, let the conversation go. Try not to be nervous. It, it can be very difficult for a lot of people, <clears throat> but try not to be nervous because we're just, you know, editors and publishers and all of us are just, I mean, we're just dudes and gals that like comics, you know, for the most part, I mean, we're not, we're not all that different. I mean, you know, you get to be different once you get in the industry and you, you get training and then you understand how this all works. But, you know, ultimately at some point, you know, 80% of us were, were just comic fans, you know, when we were kids, you know, you're not, you're not born working in the industry unless you're John Romita Jr. Who I think was born holding a pencil yeah, um, and drawing. Fair. Yeah. He drew before he spoke. They took him uh, out of school uh, early in elementary <laughs> school, I think, just to yeah. um, do two pages other, a day. Yeah, still does. Um, the other thing, too, is you know, at the end of a conversation, always ask for contact information mm-hmm. and always ask if there are other people that they would recommend that you talk to. Because there's the chance that they will go, yes, here's my business card, and yeah, you should talk to Eddie Berganza, and you should talk to Michael Seglane, and you should talk to Ben Abernathy, who are right over there, there, and there. You're just you sending know. everybody over to D.C. I, well, I, well, I started with a D.C. editor, so I figured I should – you know, I, I don't want to mix my metaphors. I understand. It's like D.C. and IDW and Marvel. That's just chaos at that point. <laughs> um, cats and dogs living together. Um, but it's, at the same time, like it's also a good idea to know – uh, what company does what? Who who sort of the right people yeah. are to talk to ahead of time? You want to know that. You want to have that research to know that you're you're not just like are you, are you an editor here? Yeah. Right. If you if you've got the cash flow, go buy a bunch of comics and find it. Figure out. Look at those credits. Figure out who edits what. And if you've got a particular sort of style or genre or whatever that you like, seek out editors who work on books that you like. You know, or that you or that you want to do that are sort of similar in in style or tone or whatever. You know, if you if you really want to do you know the next unknown soldier project, see, I'm still at DC. <laughs> um, you know, maybe don't talk to the Legion of Superheroes editor. If you can find a Vertigo editor, go talk to them. You know, uh, at IDW, you know, if you want to write Transformers, well, that's me. But if you want to write Star Trek, that's not me. I have, I, I, that's, that, that's somebody else. You know, that's Scott. So, um, you know, as much as you can, figure out who's working on what and, and approach, approach people that you think, judging from their work, and, you, you know, you can't do this to 100% accuracy, that, that you think you might get along with stylistically or even personally. <clears throat> now, about smaller shows, you can get more FaceTime 
you know, with an individual at smaller shows, um, you know, Heroes Con and the Baltimore Con. Uh, Baltimore, I've been to twice, and I, I love that show because mm-hmm. it's a it's a show where I can really have conversations with people, both with fans, with professionals, with soon to be working professionals, um, but also you know, with with people that I'm that I'm actually working with and that I have known that I that I only get to see at shows. <laughs> Excuse me. I think I just died. That was me dying. Um, so smaller shows are great for that, but then, you know, the, there's, there's the trade-off. And so to some degree, you just got to figure out what you're comfortable mm-hmm. with. I mean, San Diego is daunting to walk. If you walk in there without a plan and without sort of a map laid out with, you know, I actually, I literally, when I was doing freelance only, I literally had like a, like a flight path mapped out of of I'm going to go here first then here and I would and I would ahead of time I would call or email you know people I knew and set appointments in such a way that I would not be trying to cross that convention floor back and forth back and forth because you're going to you're going to spend you know you know 3 quarters of your day walking if you do that you need to you need at, Com- at Comic-Con <laughs> in New York you need to you need to have like a like a it's like a battle plan you know, I'm going to hit this place. Then I'm going to charge up the hill and, and hit, you know, hit a hit image. And then I'm going to charge, you know what I mean? Like you, you've really got to figure it out logistically. Like that part alone is daunting, but you can do that beforehand. They publish the, who's, they publish the list of what publishers are aware of, what artists are aware in artist alley. Um, and you can print out the map and you can make your, your plan. And you've got the list of all the publishers. So go get their books, see who works on what. And 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 make a plan. I mean, is it a huge pain in the butt? Yes. But is it worth doing? Well, if you're going to spend all that money to fly out there and for the tickets and everything, then make the most of it. We're going to do the next one shorter. Okay. Because <laughs> A, I don't think you're going to make it, and B, we'll be here until Tuesday. Uh, all right. <laughs> in, in a completely different tone, uh, if you remember the last time Andy was on, he uh, he started off working for Tom Brevoort at Marvel. Uh, and so, Wav Vampire has asked, "What is the best, funniest Tom Brevoort story that you have <laughs> uh, that you can tell?" Right, right, yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> there are so many to choose from. Um, <laughs> Tom is a Tom is a Tom is a great guy, but he he is sort of known for being you know blunt and direct and sometimes <clears throat> curmudgingly. But um, I uh, I actually did an internship five years before I got hired. And at the time, I went by Peter. I didn't go by Andy then, uh, which is my actual first name. And so then when I was looking to get hired, you know, I was, my resume said Andy and all this stuff. And he swears to me that he knew who I was. But I don't think he did. <laughs> And so he would just constantly berate me with, 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 you know, are you Peter or are you Andy? What, you know, what is it? What is it? You know, and, and it, like, it would just, you know, we'd be in the, like a heated debate about, about, I don't know, you know, an Avengers script or a Fantastic Four script or something about whatever. And he would, he would just throw this, this out. Like, you don't even know who you are sort of thing. And it would just, it would completely eradicate any argument I had because all of a sudden he, he just, you know, he would just obliterate me and I would have nothing left to say. And and he, he just knew that was his, 
his ace in the hole whenever he just needed me to shut up so he could get some work done. So that's that's one of them. There are, there are lots of, of good Tom stories. Another one, when I was an intern, you know, I was a pretty quiet uh, intern, especially in his office because, like, you know, he has, like, a gruff, you know, outer layer. <laughs> and, um, and I mean, I mean, I love the guy. He is, he is, he's, he's very sensitive and he's very, he's very honest. He's very hardworking. He, he's amazing. Um, and I owe him so much of like what I've learned about comics, all this stuff. So I can't speak highly enough about Tom, but as an intern, I was, you know, scared of him. And, um, there was a trade paperback that he was the editor on that I was really interested in reading cause I had never read it and it was squadron Supreme and Mark Grunewald had, you know, died not not that long ago. And Mark's ashes were actually in the ink. And um, and I had worked this entire summer for free and been building up my courage to ask, could I have a Squadron <laughs> Supreme trade paperback? And I finally did. It was like my last week there, and I finally, I finally did. I and I, I said, I'm sorry, yo, excuse me, Mr. Brevoort. In three months, I hadn't, you know, gotten on a first name basis. In fact, I'm not sure he had spoken to me. But he didn't know your uh, name, right? He said, "Are you Peter? Who are you? Why are you here?" Um, so I asked him if I could, if I could have one. And I, like, you know, I had prepared for it. So, like, I had this whole thing. I've worked all this. You know, I've worked very hard for you, and all I'm asking in return is this one 1995, you know, trade paperback. And <laughs> he he turns, he looks. At me, he looks down at the book, he looks back at me, and I could see the wheels in his head going, I really want to say no, but I don't know how I can. And so he took a moment and then went, Yeah, all right. And that was it. That was my that was my com my big conversation with Tom Griffin. Yeah, all right, you can have it. <laughs> I mean, I really thought he just did did not like me for whatever reason, and then you know, it turned out I was wrong. It just that's just sort of you know how he is, and and uh, and I used to kid, you know, he used to get you know this this hazing about my name, but I used to you know once I got hired, I I gave him a little back about you know how how stingy he is with his trade paperbacks. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was good stuff. You know, but working for Tom was was great. Uh jumping Jupiter. Says, uh, I'm a graphic designer. What is a graphic designer's function in the comics business? A uh, graphic designer uh, would do a lot of production work, probably. Just putting the lettering files and the coloring files together. Um, designing logos is, is, a, is, a, is a big deal. Uh, cover design with all the cover elements, UPC, you know, company logo, the logo for the book, the number, issue number, all that sort of stuff <clears throat> requires some design. Um, a lot of times, the designer, um, you don't. A lot of books don't have designers. The letterer or the artist, sort of. Right, trade together. paperbacks and hardcovers often have you know designers that that you know design the look of the credits pages and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you need a designer for that. Um, you know, if you're a graphic designer who gets into character design, costume design, you know that sort of thing, then you know there's there's limited, honestly, limited opportunities for that it, kind of thing. It feels like a lot of the companies have. Like, a, like one guy on staff, maybe, or even even a freelance guy, they just sort of use regularly. Uh, yeah, as I mean, a at, designer at IDW we have four. Oh, okay. So all the all the trades come out of those four four okay. guys there, and there are some things that get outsourced. You know, you got a month that's just 
really heavy, you know, you, you find a graphic designer that you outsource it to. <coughs> so, are those um, are staff guys? The outsourced ones are not staff. No, guys. no, the, but the four that you have, like you have those four guys on yeah. staff. That's okay. Yeah, and they, but they, they're not just doing the, the book design. They, they are also lettering every every book that comes out of IDW. Okay. Almost every book, almost every book is lettered in house at IDW. And that's because graphic designers are the only people who know how to use Illustrator. <laughs> that's correct. Vile program. Sorry. <laughs> That's why you're teaching a class about it. It's still, I learned how to do it. I still hate it. Right. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, Webnet asked, how does IDW's vision for comics in the industry differ from other, other publishing houses like Image, Oni, and Dark Horse? <laughs> wow. This is one of the shorter answers, right? Yeah. How, how does IDW – Webnet, say it again. How does IDW's vision for comics and the industry differ from other publishers like Image, Oni, Dark Horse, etc.? I have not worked for Image, Oni, or Dark Horse. I have only worked for IDW and Marvel. So I, that's a little tough. You know, I, I don't want to presume to to say that I know what the vision is at the other companies. Uh, but you know, I think IDW's vision is is really trying to to be forward thinking, which might seem odd on the surface considering we do Transformers, G.I. Joe, Star Trek, and these sorts of things. But we also do a lot of creator-owned books, and um, we are into the digital market. Um, We're the most aggressive company in the digital market, which does not mean we're trying to abandon paper comics. We all love paper comics. Lord knows I need people to be buying paper comics for me to stay employed um, in a job that I I really do love. but, uh, you know, Ted and, and Chris, uh, Ted Adams is you know one of the four founders in, of IDW, and Chris Ryle, who's our chief creative officer, really ha- are, are pushing all of us um, in a way to, to embrace the future. So I think in a lot of ways, the vision of IDW is just trying to look at what is next. And we have a, and you know, from a sort of a business standpoint, you know, we have a optimistic look at both the direct market and you know other venues as well. One of the key things I think is that we we don't do superhero comics. I mean, occasionally there's a superhero esque comic, you know, Savior Twenty Eight last year, and uh, you know, FX. You know, occasionally when there's you know one some reason to do one, we'll do one. But generally speaking, we don't do superhero comics, and. That's because you know we all believe that comics really ha- can reach a wider audience than just superhero fans, mm-hmm. and I think I think that's I think that's a defining thing for for IDW. You know, when I came on board IDW two years ago, one of the first things I said to the guys there is, "What you know, it's like office space. You know, what would you say you do here? You know, like I I wasn't sure what the identity of IDW was, and it's." It's not one thing, you know, and, and that's... It feels like it's changed. So, I mean, as it should, like like it's, it's just changed over the years a little bit. Well, it certainly has over, over the years. I mean, they've been publishing comics for nearly 10 years. The company's been actually 11 years old, but mm-hmm. um, they didn't start publishing comics. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I think, I think recently, I think, you know, the last year, it's really shifted its... its, its focus into, into really trying new things. And and some of them have really worked out phenomenally well. Um, you know, you look at a book like Parker, um, which was, uh, you know, by Darwin Cook, which was a huge success. And, you know, some things that didn't work as well. 
mm-hmm. and that can happen, you know, and that's and that's fine. A lot of that's experimentation, but one of the reasons IDW can do can do some of that experimentation, whereas some other uh, companies have more difficulty, is that we do have things like GI Joe, Transformers, that an Angel, and these sorts of things that that regularly bring in you know enough revenue that we can we can take a few risks um which is nice because ultimately you know we're trying to make great gi joe and transformers comics i'm trying to make gi joe and transformers and now dnd comics what i work on with denton and um and but we're trying to make great kinds of comics all over and i think that's one of the really cool things about idw that's both difficult to talk about and very cool about the company at the same time it's sort of that diversity um, Stuklock has asked from an editor's point of view, which is appropriate. Uh, how do you reward and hopefully duplicate the success of surprising books like GI Joe Cobra, uh, other than making it an ongoing? Um, well, that's a cool question. First of all, Stuk, uh, Stuklock, Stuklock, um, I, it's it's interesting because you you reward you reward the the book rewards itself you know GI Joe Cobra while not the highest selling GI Joe comic ever um, the trade on that uh, is continue it continues to sell in the book market um, you know you know the comics on the shelves and the retailers have like a two week lifespan before they're like relegated to a back issue bin uh, trades have a little longer lifespan but you know sales tend to, to to have a, a you know a drop off until they really aren't selling very much at all anymore, and Cobra has stayed consistent, and that comes a lot from the from the word of word of mouth and the the great reviews that Cobra received, um, and then you plan on a sequel. You know that was it was four issues, then it was four issues in a special, then it was we figured out what the, you know Chuckles' story arc was going to be for for Cobra two and Cobra three. Um, so it wraps up with issue uh, – Chuckle's story really wraps up with issue 13 of the now ongoing series. So part of it is you make it an ongoing. <laughs> uh, that is one way to reward the book. But the other thing to look at too is do you, how do you reward the, the creators and how do you reward the fans of the book who supported it? Um, and one of the ways we rewarded the fans of the book was by getting G.I. Joe – at least I hope this is a reward for the fans – is getting G.I. Joe Hearts and Minds by Max Brooks, Antonio Fuso, and Howard Chaikin off the ground, which is – you know, it's not a direct sequel to uh, to Cobra. It really has very little to do with Cobra. It's a different format, and it's uh, – but it, I think – I don't think that book would have been possible without Cobra first. No, there's a, there's a, there's a link. I, 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 yeah, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's definitely sort of a – I don't want to say spiritual. It's definitely not the word I'm looking for, but the, they're they're related somehow. Right, and it's it's sort of a tonal thing. I mean it's yeah. – they're, they're both – they're both much more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by serious, I don't necessarily mean hard-boiled, realistic, and violent because they're, they're really not. The actual uh, – you know, the other two books are actually more violent than, than Cobra is. Um, but there's something just more – visceral about about those and and really kind of you know and gut-wrenching in a lot of ways um and those you know hearts and minds exist because actually literally because cobra existed because chris gage who's one of the co-writers on cobra uh met max brooks and they got to talking about gi joe because chris was working on it and max told him he was 
he was a big G.I. Joe fan and he'd be interested in writing something. And Chris then introduced me to Max and, you know, it, it literally came from, from Cobra and, and <laughs> in a way. Um, and then the other way too is, is just to continue to work with those creators and, and you want to reward those creators. Mike Costa, uh, really, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, by any means trying to downplay Chris's involvement in the writing, but Mike is the anchor man writing, uh, Cobra. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he got, he got rewarded. He's writing the Transformers ongoing series, which happens. He happened. I didn't know this when he started writing GI Joe. I knew he was a GI Joe fan, but I, he's actually an even bigger Transformers fan. Um, and he's writing Transformers, the ongoing series for me. Um, so, and, and doing a really good job on it. Um, so I, I think that answers more books, more work. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, what more can I do? I can't make more people buy Cobra. I wish they did. I mean, I, I, I love Cobra. It's one of the books I am most proud to have worked on. Um, but I can't make more people buy it, <laughs> but I can make more books like it. And, um, and it really opened up a different genre for G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe really hadn't uh, done anything like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, you know, uh, it was a lot of it was a lot of influences coming together. And part of it was that Hasbro was just ready to do something different. And they didn't, you know, I mean, we do something pretty cold blooded and brutal in issue three of that of that first series. And and Hasbro Hasbro actually had a note that. When they saw the art for the first time of this of this murder, that said, "What is this? The play school version of murder?" <laughs> uh, and I was like, "All right, throw more blood on it." Um, nice. You know, it was that was a pretty funny day. Um, uh, Chris Neesman, who is who's he was he's on our staff. I don't know what he's asking question for. Uh, he wants to know <laughs> who would win who would win in the fight, Optimus Prime or Snake Eyes. Well, I believe your board already came up with a solution to this, and I believe they said Snake Eyes. Is, are, um, are you going with that? I am going to go with – if it is a shouting match, Optimus Prime would win. <laughs> um, if it is a fight, um, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know, man. How much time does Snake Eyes have to prepare? I mean, you know. I, I am of the opinion that Snake Eyes doesn't lose. <laughs> Does lose? No, he doesn't. He's Batman. Well, yeah, I mean that's a that's the go-to. Is that Snake Eyes is too smart? But here's the thing, you know, are we talking superhero ninja Snake Eyes from like circa 1993, or are we talking you know more realistic Commando slash Ninja Snake Eyes? I'm gonna go with 1982 Larry Hama Snake Eyes. Okay, then in that case, if that's the Snake Eyes we're talking about, he loses, but he's cooler for surviving. Okay. All right, I'll go with that. You know, what I, you know what I mean? Like he's going to lose the fight, but he somehow he's going to survive and he's going to be beat to hell, and he's going to be just that much cooler for being the guy that survived a fight with Optimus Prime. All right, that's that's a, that's fair, and it's not even a cop out, so that works. All right. uh, Chris had another question, which is probably <laughs> more useful, really, in the world. All right. Uh, how much of an impact should becoming a premier publisher Diamond have at IDW from either the bottom line business perspective or from the status point of view? Uh, that's a cool question, and it's a little early to say. And just in case people don't know what that means, Diamond has premier publishers, which means these are publishers that get put at the front of the catalog. And a lot of retailers kind of don't even read past the premier publishers. And recently, IDW was uh, the first 
the first publisher to be named a premier publisher since they instituted the the premier publisher thing like 14, 15 years ago, um, <clears throat> which is very cool. Um, and it has some benefits that go along with it. There's things like page count and previews. Obviously, we moved up in the catalog, so we're we're uh, I think right after Dark Horse now. It's like DC, Dark Horse, IDW, Image, and then not Marvel because they have their own thing. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, it would be kind of unrealistic to think that you know sales are just going to jump random on random issues of everything just because our place in the catalog of like why is somebody who's who's figured out like how many transformers fans they sell books to are going to go oh they're a premiere now so i'm going to order 30 more copies of transformers well you know if you're already ordering transformers and gi joe and all these things from idw you know what your fan base is and the, the stores were already aware of the company so it wasn't like moving right. in the catalog necessarily made them go oh Right, but I think it. I think it. You know, I mean, it's certainly. A, I mean, just the fact that we became a premier publisher, and and you know, let's be honest, Diamond doesn't really want to make more premier publishers. It doesn't really do Diamond any good. But we had we had solidly beaten some of their premier publishers um, in quantity of comics sold and dollars sold uh, last year, which is the first time that that had happened um, for any company to do that. And so they kind of were like, oh. Okay, <laughs> we'll make you a premier publisher, which is, which honestly is is just a, a really remarkable thing, and and I can't take much credit for that because IDW was headed there before I got hired anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's a little too early to say. It's been like three catalogs, four catalogs, maybe it's, that we've. Been it's in. one of those things. Like I think you'll notice over the course of years, rather than. Right, yeah, but you know, we we just launched True Blood, and it may have it may have impacted True Blood sales, but it probably didn't impact Transformers number seven. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But True Blood number one might have gone up, and and that may have gone up too because, you know, fans can get previews and they can and they'll look through the premiere section, and if you're not particularly into, you know, indie comics and that sort of thing, you, you know, a lot of fans probably don't go past DC Image and Dark Horse, but now IDW's in there and that's in that section, so it's likely that. You know, people went to their retailer and went, "Hey, you know, I'm a True Blood fan. I'll, I'll get this." But they may not have seen that had it been in the back of the catalog. Uh, um, that's that's very possible. And but you know, we're never gonna, we're never going to know for sure, like if that's really happening or not, because because we don't get that kind of data. You know, we don't get that kind of feedback. Uh, you know, from from retailers, we don't get that kind of feedback from 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 diamond you know a lot of people assume that we have like all kinds of data but you know i literally get on the phone and i and i call you know retailers and i say you know how did how did this issue of transformers do for you how did you know how are your fans reacting to this you know and i do look at message boards and i do you know talk to fans at at shows and um and i take all that feedback and look at it all and and try to make sense of it and uh and try to make better comics but getting back to that question i i don't know um but it's certainly not going to hurt mm-hmm. i know that like it really there's no way it can hurt us um it can only help you know but one way that 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 has been fairly concrete for me is that we we do get a few more pages in the in the catalog and so all of a sudden i've had more space to show to show art a little bit bigger, you know, in GI Joe, I think I think showing being able to show big splashy images is is important uh, to selling the books. You know, when they when they wind up being you know six on a page, 
it's hard to make an impact with that. Now, when you came into work the day after the announcement, did you find that the gold toilet seats helped? Or... <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I thought the golden eggs were even yeah. more helpful. It was hard to yeah. tell over all the hip-hop music and cocaine everywhere, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was really it – was, it was surreal, actually, going to the – to the shop and actually picking up a catalog in the shop where IDW was the premier mm-hmm. publisher for the first time. It, that was, I mean, a lot of people don't realize like it, it was that day. It was very cool because it was a status thing. And it was, it was a, it was a concrete confirmation that the hard work that the guys that, you know, the four guys that started IDW and the guys who have been there for six, seven years had you know, been pouring their sweat into this company, into making better comics. That was concrete evidence that they were onto something, and it, and it's very, very cool to to see to see your work rewarded in a way that's that's not just somebody who works with you patting you on the back, which is great too. But you know, that was something out in the world, mm-hmm. and that's a really, really cool thing. Uh, Dave Wildgaz. I may have gotten that wrong. Says, so for the past year, and he started with a so, I don't know about that. I've been self-publishing a lot of different comics that I've written with friends who draw them. I really believe my team and I have put our best foot forward with all the comics we've created, and I'm considering collecting them into one big graphic novel and sending them out to some publishers. Is this a good idea? Does it show the popular publishers that I have initiative and drive needed to make comics? Thanks a lot, Andy. You're a great editor. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um... I don't know that you would need to bind them into a trade paperback. You know, to a certain extent, it might be even more impressive to have, you know, five or six single issues or however many you have. Um, You know, I mean, at that point, if you have copies of all that you can send out of all the issues as singles, um, I would just sort of, you know, from from a dollars and cents standpoint, wonder why why put it into a trade paperback. Um, if you can, if you have them on hand and you don't have to pay extra, why pay the cost to print it? But, um, but it's certainly a good idea to send them to editors with a, with a nice, you know, cover letter explaining, you know, briefly explaining who you are, what you hope to do. And these are your comics and you're turning them in, you know, you're sending them to them as submissions. But you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about with conventions, as much as you can tailor those letters to individual people. So it's not just a form letter. I mean, you can have parts of it that are a form letter, of course, but um, but you know, if you know you're sending it to uh, Alejandro at uh, at Marvel, then then and you know what he works on, you know, if you know he's the Thor editor, which he is, then um, then you know tailor it to Alejandro as much as you can, you know, and obviously that goes for whoever you send it to. I would think that sending a big graphic novel might actually get. It's just daunting. Like, like if you've got a bunch of stuff to read and you've got an issue, you're like, oh, I'll just thumb, thumb through this issue rather than that's a big book that I'm not going to have time to read. You know, some people might react that way and other people might react the way of, wow, this guy did a trade. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it could have – it, it could be a plus or a minus, but I don't I, – there's no way to calculate is it more likely to be a plus or a minus. So I would say don't. Don't spend the money on it, you know, because you can. And and the other thing too with having the singles is you can put, if you are sort of doing that research and tailoring it, you can, you can say in your cover letter, I put this one on top because I thought you specifically would like it, you know. And, and you can't do that with a trade because they're just in there. I mean, you could tab, a, put a tab on the trade or whatever. But um, 
But yeah, you know, and it's interesting too because a lot of editors talk about how they don't ever read stuff like that, but we 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 do. Mm-hmm. You know, not all of us, but but we do. You know, I try to read everything. I try to read every email I get, and I try to read every submission I get. Sometimes there are legal reasons why I can't read a submission, um, but even then, I try to at least you know either shoot an email back or. You know, if I'm on the phone with somebody, let them know. Like, I can't read this for this reason, but if you do this, this, and this, I could read that. Um, the, part and then, of the, and the, the part of this that you all couldn't hear was me going, I, I have the best uh, mutt uh, story possible. And he was like, I can't <laughs> listen to it. And I was like, but, but listen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got, uh, I got pitched to Krim Zeke from Transformers Lore, who was a living like electric bolt that went around like causing havoc and transformers going crimson crimson and i was like yeah that's gonna be a tough sell <laughs> but go I for it vaguely remember yeah. that oh. yeah yeah these are the things that um knowing these things is what you know pays my mortgage yeah fair enough uh, isn't that isn't that odd um uh, I'm going to combine these two because they're sort of related. Uh, Mac 59 uh, says, as an editor, what do you look for, respond to in your writers? And then uh, Amal Downey says, when looking at new writers or artists, what are some indicators of professionalism and diligence that you look for? These can be more obvious and universal job interview pointers, or they can be subtle cues that you've picked up over the years. The difference between a big talker that delivers or one that doesn't, for example. Uh, okay, so professionalism – uh, the first is you know the presentation of of the the pitch or the story. <clears throat> the second is actually having a complete story. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like to tell me, "Oh, I'm an idea man." Well, what that means is you're not a writer. Um, um, you know, and uh, another thing is you know people who are actually working. You know, one of the things one of the things I'll be saying on my you know writers panel is writers write. They don't sit around dreaming about writing. They actually write. They find time to write. You know. Uh, I've got a son, I've got a day job, I've got comics experience, yet I find time to write. And often it's 15 minutes that I get to write one day, but I'll, I'll write for 15 minutes, and that means I'm 15 minutes closer to the end of that script. Um, so that has a lot to do with professionalism. Another thing, if you're in a conversation or you're getting feedback, is how you take that feedback and how you react in a conversation. If you're open to feedback and you're wanting to learn, that's something professionals do. Um, you know, when I started off in my mid twenties, you know, working at Marvel, I would give feedback to, you know, I worked on a lot of, uh, Brian Bendis's projects and I would give feedback to Brian. And one of the things that I loved about Brian, and there are many, he is a lovable guy is that despite the fact that I was, younger than him, that I had less experience in the comics industry than him, um, that he would take my notes seriously and we would talk him out. And sometimes he'd talk me out of my note and sometimes I'd talk him into it. But he responded in a – he always was open enough to discuss and consider that he might not have put the absolute best combination of words on 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 the page. Um, and, uh, that is a really big thing, especially with, especially with writers. Like if you can't take feedback, you're not going to get along with an editor for very long. <laughs> um, it, it just becomes really difficult, you know? And another big thing, if you get a gig is how you do rewrites, um, how you respond to rewrites, which has a lot to do with taking the feedback, but 
but actually how you go about doing a rewrite is a, is a big indicator of how professional you are. I was an editor for years before I was writing professionally and I was terrible at, 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 uh, at rewrites for a long time. I'm much better at it now, but that is a really hard thing to learn. And it's a really hard thing to learn if you're not writing professionally. So if this is one of your first gigs, I'm not going to expect you to be, you know, the, an artist at rewrites, but I expect you to, to approach them, you know, uh, to the best of your ability. Another good indicator if you're working with an editor is asking your editor for help. Your editor is not there to just tell you you're wrong all the time. If you're stuck on something or you don't understand a note or you're just not sure how to break a scene, give your editor a call. Invite your editor to help you through the problems because it is much more fun to help someone than it is to give them feedback like this does not work. Um, so I think all of that goes into professionalism. What I'm looking for is really an openness and a drive to to all that's uh, you know that that striving to always be better at what you're doing. Can you? I mean, I, I imagine you you've met a lot of big talkers. I'm guessing you can you can spot that from a mile away at this point yes yeah yes and a lot of a lot of big talkers aren't big talkers that are just full of it a lot of them aren't just don't understand the reality mm-hmm. you know and 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 you know you, you don't want to be disrespectful to a big talker because a lot of times they're just really passionate fans and these are the people that you make comics for, for for someone like this this is why you do what you do because a guy like this loves comics and 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 probably loves some comics you worked on um so the last thing you want to do is is be rude or dismissive um but a lot of guys you know really you know they read a lot of comics get you know think that their idea is the idea and become a you know this is gonna sell huge and, and you just you try to explain to them as as calmly and rationally as you can that the reality of the marketplace is <laughs> a little different than you think. You know, it could be the best book in the world. It could be the best reviewed project. That doesn't mean it's going to sell through the roof. And we were talking about GI Joe Cobra earlier, which is one of the best reviewed comics, maybe the best reviewed comic I personally have ever worked on. <laughs> Did it outsell Secret War, which I edited? No. <laughs> Did it outsell New Avengers number one? No. Mm-hmm. Did it get great reviews and did that help a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, but you know, and sometimes you have to sort of try and gently let people know. Like, I agree with you. That is a great idea, mm-hmm. and I understand where you're coming from. But the reality of the marketplace is, you're going to be really disappointed if you if you think you're going to outsell. Avengers number one with your creator on book that no one's ever heard of. And, you know, and, and then, you know, it's one of the key things I think to being an editor and, and, and really being a professional in a field that you love is you, you, it's sort of like being a doctor, like never do harm, never do harm to comics, never do harm to comics fans, never do harm to other professionals, you know, make no enemies if you can avoid it. Um, and so, you know, even when somebody's getting sort of belligerent, which which happens too, you know, always try to treat them with respect and 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 uh, you know a recognition that that comics are are better if we can all get along. What I'm saying though is that if Mutt and Junkyard had a team up with Law and Order, 
then we should. I'm sorry, just dug law and order out of my head. And I really wanted to use it. And well, we did get an argument about this, and sneak I just wanted to. Is, is one of my favorites because yeah, that, here's a here's a guy that has like a, a like a, a periscope that he carries around with him that's like a foot tall. So he is the Joe that you want in that situation where you wish you were a foot taller. <laughs> What's over that, that fence over there? I, I, I don't know. If only we had someone right, who could yeah. look up slightly more than me. You think they might have gotten a little <laughs> run out of ideas a little bit when they're like, we need that guy that can see just a foot taller. Well, he's one of those Joes who's been completely uh, wiped out by technology. A lot of the early ones, you know, the communications I'll have you know, uh, Josh, I'll have you know, Sneak Peek is currently in G.I. Joe Cobra. Yeah, I, 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 you, got, you still have to come up with a new thing for him. Right, he doesn't have a periscope that he uses on land. And I, I can't, I don't know why this is all coming back to me now because I, I really, but I mean, dial tone. He doesn't need the big backpack anymore. Everybody has no. a tiny little you're not, device. You're not, you're not reading GI Joe anymore, are you? I am. I just, you in fact, suck. did you, do you? Dial tone is a girl now, for one thing. Really. I lose yeah. track. I'm actually, you know, what's funny is I'm, I, I'm actually reading through the old ones right now, so I'm okay. all mixed up between all of the books. Um, no, the last sense. couple GI Joes have been fantastic. Actually, I really enjoyed the last couple. The one that Thanks. just came I, out this week. Um, there you go. Okay. And the and the Snake Eyes issue uh, one or two back that, the, with the with the little shopkeeper, the the soft master, good stuff. Oh, look at look at that! You are reading. I am. It was I was the, I was because I kind of I okay. Here I am talking. I got a little disinterested for a bit, and then and then came back around, and I've really been enjoying them again lately. Good, good. But I but I am totally confused because I'm reading the old ones now, and I'm up to like thirty or something like that. And so I'm. That was good, man. Those those first fifty of the original. I mean, they're they're written in that that eighty style and stuff, and and so I, I don't really love reading them. But man, those they, those were some good stuff. They take a turn. It's <laughs> like for the first ten, you're like, this is garbage, and then. Right. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, all yeah. of a sudden, like the story kicks in, and, and one of the other things that's really interesting is we're oh, we're totally going to do a show about this because I can't waste that much stuff on it. But uh, Mike Vosberg starts off, and I'm like, this is terrible. This is really bad. And then at some point, he becomes much better as he keeps going through it. Yeah, and it's, yeah, that's true. It, it, no, like at first, it's just like he's clearly just doing it for a paycheck, and then after that, like <laughs> I start to see him like, wow, he's getting better. His layouts, his storytelling are all getting better as we go because at first it is rough. He got his first royalty check. That's what happened. Yeah, I guess so. He's like, I guess um, I'll put in the effort. You know, it's interesting. Like, it's right around that time where Snake Eyes has that fight in the bayou. Mm-hmm. That that like everything. I think that's. I think that takes place before like the the big like origin issue reveals and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And and that's that was the issue for me where I was like, oh, it's Snake Eyes versus Destro, and all of a sudden this is cool. That went it, on. Uh, but what I've learned because I'm at like 28 or 30 or somewhere around there, and the, and the story starts up with issue 10. And it hasn't stopped yet. It's funny that people talk about yeah. decompression now. Of like, there's no, there's no break here. Right, it right, just yeah. Keeps going. Right. Well, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have people like on on message boards that'll complain that that um, you know Chuck Dixon and Mike Casa don't don't like they'll literally, literally say the sentence. There aren't enough words in this comic. <laughs> like, okay, uh, that's not going to change. I'm not going to just start arbitrarily adding words like it really is that conversation from Amadeus where the where the guy goes up to Mozart after Mozart has performed the entire you know symphony or whatever and goes up and goes hmm 
too many notes. There are too many notes. You know, and that's that's like his criticism. He's like, well, which notes would you cut? Like it's it it's that conversation where when you're watching Amadeus, you know that's like a really like not like you're not thinking. But do you want me to randomly add sentences into this thing just you know so it takes you longer? Like that that doesn't uh, that seems like one of those things where I can see where it comes from because your old comics were like that, but do you really want somebody going that wall is falling at me? No time to move. No time to think. I only have time to talk about it. I literally get to a page that is covered in word balloons and I go, "Oh, come on. You can do better than this." And, and, I mean, I think I've, it's like one of those things, like I read comics slower now. I pay more attention to what the artists are doing storytelling-wise. I mean, the the silent issue of the G.I. Joe, as long as we're talking right, about yeah. it. But, which is, which again, is, is a, a nice irony, is that everyone's favorite issue, including all the people who want more words, is the silent issue yeah. that has not a word. <laughs> um, so that's always kind of funny. But I don't ever point it out on the message boards. I just read their messages and move on. I couldn't. I couldn't even deal with those message boards. You're a better man than I. And I run oh, website. You know, message message boards aren't that bad. I mean, people can people can get mean and people can get nasty, but you know, you 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 do this long enough, you build a thick skin to it, and you just constantly remind yourself they're mean and they're nasty because on some level they love it. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not love this issue. In fact, clearly they don't. But they love the property. They're 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 there to support the book, even though right now it feels like they're they're trying to stab you. Now I got a death threat recently. Um, wow, I got a death threat recently. That did not just roll off my back. Um, that was actually really uh, really. You know, it's it's funny. You know, the guy, you know, the guy actually said he knows where he, I live, and he managed to you know put that in the note that where I lived. Uh, so that made it really come home. Based on a Star, uh, a GI Joe or Transformers comic. Transformers comic, yeah. Well, he's got a point. All <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't end with that. Yeah, let's talk about something else real quick. <laughs> let's not talk about death threats. Like, that's not that's no fun. Let's no, talk about something fun. It is. I tried to make it fun, and that didn't work. So now I I feel bad. Um, I guess uh. I'm all off now. You've you've totally ruined it. Uh, I've I've ruined the entire show by that. I'm sorry. That's a that's a downer. <laughs> it is. Um, um, so you're going to be at San Diego, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, you've given people all sorts of advice about about the the kinds of things that that they can talk to you about, things like that. Is there any sort of sort of final? What's what's the what's the best approach that anybody's ever had with you at a convention to come up and meet you that that like led to led to work for them? Is... I was at the urinal, <laughs> and someone came up and pitched me their Nova story. That was wait no no that was the worst approach. Right, uh, that actually happened. There I was, hands tied, <laughs> stuck. Listening to a Nova pitch while peeing. Um, that's not a good approach. There are uh, – oh, um, let's see. Let me think if there was a – you know, anytime – I don't think there's been a time where I met someone and gave them work, mm-hmm. writing work specifically yeah. at, at a show. Like that really just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I have met artists, reviewed their portfolios, exchanged contact information, and that has led to work – down the line, mm-hmm. 
Um, There's a guy two years ago at Comic-Con, an artist named Joe Suter, who's actually doing something for me right now. He's doing Transformers Sector 7, which is a remarkably cool book. Um, And uh, he showed me his portfolio, and I was just really impressed with it. And um, he apparently showed it to lots of other people, too, who were also impressed with it because he got calls like he, he didn't hear anything for a number of weeks and then he got calls in the same week from three different publishers one of which was me but i did not call first and so he wound up doing a spider-man one shot before he wound up working with me um and he still does work with spider-man i think i think stephen wacker had hired him to do a spider-man thing hired him the same week i hired him to do a one shot i had a lot of lead time on it so it wound up not being a problem he was able to take both gigs but that's pretty cool that's a pretty cool story yeah see that's that's good that's something positive yeah that's a people's career started there you go that's fine that's good yeah well uh i'm sure lots of people will come up and talk to you in san diego now because of this and you'll be surrounded (laughs) Uh, and you'll have lots of people at your panels, which I, uh, those are the kind of things like that, that, I mean, I, I'm interested in making comics. I'm interested in knowing how it's all done. There's never, there's never not something to learn. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I agree. And that's, that's, that's why I do the comics experience thing. And that's why when I'm writing, I always challenge myself because if I'm not learning something, I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do believe that. Um, but we should, we should close on five days to die because that's what this is that's what i'm shelling tonight yeah i forgot we started with that and nine days ago five (laughs) there are there are worth the price of admission alone was uh cover on issue one by david finch cover on issue two by michael avon oming cover on issue three by ben temple smith cover on issue four by gabrielle del odo and cover on issue five by pablo ramonde so very cool looking covers chi did very awesome i think because he had to compete with some superstars he did some very awesome uh variant covers retailer incentive covers that are a little more rare um but he did a cover for each issue as well and it's a really uh it's a i i believe that if you pick it up and you should go tell your retailer you want to pick it up that if you pick it up i believe that you are very likely to enjoy it is that as good an, an endorsement as i could come up with I just, I'm there, hoping, there is a decent percentage of a chance i'm just hoping that, that you will like this the comment. writers that you work with are giving you better pitches i believe that it's very possible that someone might read and enjoy most you know, of this book it's so ingrained in me that like you can't guarantee something because that means you know like ah it's so ingrained in me. You can of, too. People do it. That Jason Aaron guaranteed that you would like the first the first scalp trade. All right, I guarantee. He also offered a money back like, guarantee. I wouldn't do that though. <laughs> I guarantee that you are likely to enjoy it. <laughs> I just I don't know if you're gonna make it in this business with that kind of attitude, Andy. <laughs> I I hate I hate this. I hate selling. <laughs> myself i hate it i hate it but i hope that you enjoy the book josh and uh, the audience members that that it's that kind of sincerity that makes that makes me hope that you succeed <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks andy all right take care Woo, that was a marathon thanks to andy schmidt for sitting around and talking to us about all this stuff helpful tips the stories all that stuff make sure to check out five days to die coming up soon it's a gorgeous book 
And if you're in San Diego, make sure to take advantage of those comics experience panels if you're at all interested in being part of making comics. Get over to iFanboy.com to comment on this show and all the other cool stuff that you can find there. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.